0: Hello everyone, I'm Michael Banks, and I'm the host of the podcast series, Heroic Journeys from Crisis to Transformation. My guest today is Tim Watton, who is one of life's survivors, having been expected to die by the age of 17 due to his chronic lung condition, cystic fibrosis. But he's defied the odds repeatedly and transformed his life and has learned a lot in the process. So welcome, Tim.
1: Hi, Michael. Pleasure to be with you.
0: Thank you very much. How are you today?
1: Good. Uh, the sun's out today, which is a nice thing in England.
0: But it won't be tomorrow when you want to watch the cricket at Lords.
1: Sadly, it looks uh, not so good. You have to oh. take with the rough with the smooth, which is basically sums up my life.
0: <laughs> right. Good. Well, that's a good way to start. Um, because uh, my first question to you is, uh, within the context of the theme, which is a very general theme, but it's nevertheless a theme of this podcast series, which is going from crisis to transformation. Um, I would suggest, correct me if I'm wrong, that your whole life has been in a state of crisis and that you are continually transforming. Is that true?
1: Yeah, no, no. um, there's never a day off with cystic fibrosis. It's uh, for those who have heard of it, but don't appreciate it, um, and I may sound well, um, it affects, uh, the lungs in a very chronic way, produces lots of mucus, which is inhibits the breathing, um, and lung function. I was born with it. So both my parents were carriers unbeknownst to them in the seventies. And then any offspring had a one in four chance of having the actual chronic illness. Um, I have a twin brother. He got away with everything. He's even good looks. Um, <laughs> Uh, and an elder brother who is a carrier but doesn't have the illness Um, as well as affecting the lungs it affects uh, the pancreas so we don't digest food so therefore we have to have a lot of tablets and the form of enzymes with any food we have and um, so I've had it since 1971 I'm I'm 48 now life expectancy as you reference there Michael was only supposed to be 17 um, which puts a surprisingly heavy burden on you when you're a young man, um, not expecting to uh, go very far in life. Uh, not so great expectations as I refer to them. And um, but but actually, I've never known anything else. It's not like I was struck down with a condition like yourself, um, with your kidney disease, where may you may have had periods of good health before, and then you've got to do this huge adjustment. This is all I've ever known. So 48 years, every single day, whether it be even my wedding day, you know, my birthday is on holiday, I have to do at least two hours of medical regime. And let's be clear, that gives me health that most people would despise. So even when I get it 100% right, my health is something that most people would hate. But the slippery slope is to get worse and then you would need a lung transplant. And sadly, many people die far too early. People still die in their teens from cystic fibrosis. Uh, Twenties is still, you know, not uncommon. And even to get close to 40 without a lung transplant is is super rare. So for to be 48 with a family, working full time, playing sport, um, I am... Um, one of the rarities out there.
0: Wow, that's amazing! Congratulations, that's truly extraordinary. Two hours a day. Yeah. Doing medication stuff.
1: Yeah, so that's uh, equates to 40 different tablets throughout the day. I'm actually pretty good at bundling a load in one go and putting them in my mouth, and that actually sounds a bit obtuse, but I like the really different coloured ones. Makes it interesting that's an in-joke for people that take a lot of pills um if there was an olympic sport of pill taking i'd probably be one of the top top ones there um i also have to do physiotherapy to get the mucus up to cough it up coughing is a very uh common part of cystic fibrosis we often get confused with people who smoke heavily which is super ironic because we've never smoked we've already got damaged lungs um I have to do um, inhalers, I have to do nebulizers, which helps um, put an a neb- uh, a, a antibiotic into my lungs. Um, I'm also, as a side effect, 10 years ago, my I joke it's my reward for staying alive. Um, I got type 1 diabetes as a side effect, so I have to do at least five injections and check my bloods three times a day. So. Put all that together, and it, it equates to about two hours throughout the day.
0: It's amazing that, uh, I mean, actually, um, you really do fit into the category of this uh, series heroic journeys. Do you that's regard you me, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but but not a, there's no imposter syndrome here, my friend. <laughs> that's great. Um, and you can still laugh and uh. Live a relatively that's, life. That's, that's half. That's half the
1: trick, isn't it? Yeah. Um. I am by n- not not in any false way. I'm pretty upbeat. I feel it's a very good coping mechanism. I'm normally the happiest person in the office, um, or wherever I am. Well known for being so. Um. And again, I'd rather be upbeat and smiley than uh, the broken record that looks uh, morose. And, you know, I'm at 48, surviving, so there's got to be something to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Do you you get any um, personal value or satisfaction from from the fact that you have managed to get through? Do you have a sense of pride and do you feel that uh, there's a... I mean, because as an outsider looking in, hearing what you're saying, I would say that you are truly heroic to go through that every day of your life. When I was on dialysis, I'm on medication now, and you know I only have to take eight different ones a day, um, but that's enough. <laughs> but uh, to do what you have to do with diabetic uh, procedures on top of that. But do, do you get it? Do you have a sense of like fulfilment in a funny kind of way that you've actually managed not just to stay alive, but to have a full life?
1: Yes, um, but here's the thing: nothing about my life. Is guaranteed um, nothing is taken for granted so if I've had a good day yesterday with my health tomorrow could easily kick my ass and that there are banana skins all the time with cystic fibrosis whether it be catching an infection out out and about and getting a bad cold and a bad cold for my cystic fibrosis lungs sets me back for months so you're just one tricky moment away from a regress and that's why my feet are on the ground. Yes, i done well. But here's the rub. I've always benchmarked with healthy people. Therefore, I don't to them, against healthy people, I'm struggling. I need to do better. And I've never ever felt, gosh, I'm doing quite well against other people with CF. I'm always seeing how can I improve on the hockey field because I play hockey. How can I improve in the office to keep up with everyone? But be realistic as well. Um, because if I push myself too far, there's a balance to be found.
0: I understand. How, how, how on earth do you play hockey when you have a lung condition? I mean, isn't that... It's not easy. I mean... well, I, well, I was a junior international, so
1: I had good pedigree. And um, I played for England, went to Germany in the mid-80s for England um, in a tournament. Probably before, you know, age 15, before my health really... Um, deteriorated um, and I was being looked after by my parents um, a lot and I think when you've got that sort of care around you you, it's all too easy not to take full responsibility it's when I went to uni that things (laughs) went downhill I'll come back to that in a minute Um, but yeah hockey's tough but conversely it's kept me it's one of the secret ingredients that's kept me alive because I've exercised my lungs where back in the seventies and eighties, no doctor was really advocating that people with CF should go and exercise their lungs. They should be almost like wrapped up. And those people have all died. Whereas my father, I think emotionally, he struggled with understanding that his son was so ill, but he thought, and he was a hockey player himself and a sportsman. If my son can run around a pitch and keep up with others, then he won't be so bad, which actually was a bit of a maverick stroke. Um, and my brothers played and, you know, my older brother represented England as well. So it's, it's something steeped in our, the Watton DNA to play. I now coach my son who's 12. So it's gone generational. And with a lot of struggle, I kept playing first team men's hockey till my mid-30s and, and play um, more in the summer now. I've sort of worked out I'm a, um, a fair weather player. I go to the gym most of the winter and I play hockey on the warmer days because that's better for my lungs. It's, it's just understanding what your body needs rather than pushing the envelope just because it feels good or should, you should be doing something. It's over the years optimizing how you can stay ahead of the, this awful illness. It's
0: amazing. Um, it's, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of my own experience when I hadn't played cricket for about the last six or seven years, and I thought last year, uh, I was able to finally go back and play the game I love, and had played for many years, and uh, of course because of my particular circumstances with my kidney transplant, etc. Um, <laughs> the first time I had, I uh, tried to hit the ball. I fell over, and unfortunately, Karen had it on video. So oh, no. it was extremely <laughs> embarrassing. And then, I, then, I, then a catch came straight to me at mid-off. It was a it was a straightforward catch, and I sort of tried to catch it and fell over backwards uh, and got the ball um, and so on, uh, so to, for you to talk about uh, playing field hockey right
1: yeah field hockey
0: yeah. uh, it 's quite amazing i 'm I'm totally impressed, uh, just going back a bit a few minutes you you talked about your the, your need to be vigilant and keep your feet on the ground and, um, and not take anything for granted or get almost you didn 't say the word but cocky do, do you ever In that state of constant vigilance, do you ever sort of move into a state of hypochondria where you start to think, oh my God, um, I've got a problem here. Even if you haven't, does it? do you you have that? Oh yeah,
1: every every day. Really? Yeah, because if I'm having a coughing fit, which um, is happening most days at the moment, or I'm up some of the night trying not to wake up my wife and son, I defy anyone to override that and not feel some negativity the trick is to just um acknowledge it realize that you're having a, a challenging moment understandably wallow for as long as needed but spin it to a poor positive the, the thought and health i'd like to have rather than bemoan what could be happening because your body sells you a few dummies At times it makes you feel worse than it actually is and conversely you feel better than you actually are you know and and it's probably somewhere in the middle is most is the reality uh, but yes i have negative thoughts a lot every day uh, even today i looked in the mirror and thought you know you know my next work job how will i cope because there may be huge expectations will i be up for this uh, at the moment there are some medications that could help me but the the company are charging too much and the government aren't paying. So I've not had access to them and they've been around for three years. So that's in my mind as well. You know, when will I ever get this medication that I know from people in America that take it would be really helpful. So, so, you know, it's a mix of emotions, but I try and override the negative ones with more positive ones.
0: So really, um, you're talking about a, a practice of continuously coaching yourself because you're present enough, aware enough of how you are at any, any one time in any given day. And you're continuously having a conversation with yourself in a way, aren't you? And then making choices. Is that yeah. Right? I mean,
1: I think our inner dialogue, our monologue is set to inner critique or critic. Mm. And I've tried to, change it to in a coach so it's coaching me okay so yeah you had a bad night tim you understandably will feel rough today and a bit deflated but actually look at all the things you're going to achieve today despite you know so it's just reframing as quickly as i can so that those negative thoughts don't last too long they don't become the subplot for that day and then that month that week that year You know, that's far too easy and understandable to happen. And I'd say 50% of adults with cystic fibrosis are depressed and understandable. I'm not saying they should or shouldn't be. I'm just saying it's understandable. Uh, I have learned a lot um, about my survival, the Holy Trinity, and I've talked about two of them. I'm now going to talk about the third one. So the first was doing all that medicine every day, flawlessly.
0: Yep.
1: Second one was regular exercise to keep these knackered lungs active. And the third one is the power of the mind and that and resilience Mm. and understanding that um, the most important person I ever speak to is myself. Um, And actually that isn't anything that a doctor normally tells you. (laughs) They don't do the fluffy soft stuff. They just say, take this pill. But if you're going to challenge a condition like mine and something similar for a long period of time, Your game plan needs to include how you take it on mentally
0: okay so um, that's very interesting would you say that it applies that can you extrapolate from your own experience of of being your own coach your inner coach uh, as applied to your own condition can you extrapolate that to as a practice to other people with other kinds of medical problems yeah,
1: um, but there are often people who've been struck down by something, let's say diabetes, when you're in your own case with kidney disease, heart disease, cancer, their point of reference is zero. They're, they're no, they don't know where to begin. Whereas I've had 48 years to sort this out.
0: Yeah.
1: So I've become some sort of a polymath about how I take it on, which levers to pull at any given moment, when to self-medicate, when to go out and get some hope from a new over-the-counter tablet. You know, you never stop still. Always be looking around. Don't just assume that the doctor knows all the answers. Meet them halfway, but agitate. Come up with answers and suggest things that they've not thought of. Um, and there's this really well-known oncologist in America called Bernie Siegel. He wrote a book, really good book, called Love, Medicine and Miracles. Yeah, I know. And you know the book? Yep. Okay. Yep. Well, he broke, uh, it fascinated me. I wish I'd read it in the 90s. He broke down patient, his cancer patients into three buckets. There was a 15, 10 to 15% who actually die on the date they're pretty much told. Uh, and he says either consciously or subconsciously, they weren't desperately happy with the life they had. So they're looking for a way out. That sounds awful, but that's what he spotted. Then there's a huge swathe of about 60% who are fairly robotic, will do pretty much what the doctor tells them to do, but would rather some procedure than a change of lifestyle, like um, stopping smoking or you know not exercising enough. Um, and then there's, he's identified this third group, this population of survivors who are exceptional patients. And I suppose I put myself in that category, having read his book, who are the feisty ones, who do challenge, who do agitate, who look holistically. And that's intuitively how I've gone because I see my fight with CF, cystic fibrosis, and diabetes as actually a pure fight. It's, um, I like boxing. Not doing, I'm a watcher. It's a pretty tough sport. Um, so every single day, you know, I get out of bed, the bell rings, you know, metaphorically. And I've got to see how I can take this illness on in the ring. You know, whether it be covering up at times or occasionally taking a knee if I'm really struggling. But by my holistic treatment methods, playing sport, every time I go to the gym, I'm punching it back. You know, that's how I, that's the level I've got to with being as fierce and as demonstrative back to this terminator of an illness. that All it wants to do is kill me. So I've got to fight it hard back every single day. And then the next day, it's like Groundhog Day, the bell rings as soon as I wake up tomorrow and I've got to be ready again. Um, not half-assed, go, oh, I'm just going to have a few hours off. That, that doesn't exist for me. I've got to be, hit it straight away. And the, you know, for people who are prize fighters, when they win, their, their wealth you know exponentially goes up. My gift for surviving every day is my survival, my health.
0: Thank you very much for, uh, sharing all of that. I, you know, as you're talking to in fact, throughout this conversation, you know, it occurs to me that, um, you have such a huge wealth of knowledge that c- could be so beneficial to other people. And I'd want to sort of jump into the book. Um, you wrote a book. Can you tell me something about that and why you wrote it?
1: Yeah, that's, um, good question. Um, so understand that people die young with my illness and getting to 30 felt like the holy grail. So when I was approaching 40, I had an epiphany that I wasn't, well, my greatest achievement really was my survival. Um, and I wasn't doing much with it. I'm a communicator by trade and I felt actually it would be pretty powerful and actually it turned out cathartic to share my, my survival story, but strategies for that survival. I initiated a blog, which still exists, called Postcards from Earth, and it's had oh, over 100,000 global. Yeah. It's called Postcards from Earth.
0: Postcards from Earth. Okay. Yeah. Where can we find that blog, by the way?
1: Oh, you could easily just hit Google Tim Watson, or just Postcards from Earth, CF, and you'd find it. Okay, great. Thank you. And actually, that was so popular in, in I counted down. Most people really don't want to get to 40. I counted down to 40 via this blog. It was a very poignant time. And I got a lot of publicity, um, both uh, in UK papers like The Guardian. They wrote an article. I wrote it on their behalf. They gave a title, How Have I Cheated Death? And that Guardian article online did so well, as well as in the papers that actually I then chose that for the book that came out of the blog. And I wrote that book. There's no, there's no as you well know, there's no good time or easy time to write a book Is if you're working full time. So you need to be pretty dedicated and committed. And I wrote it over two years on the Northern Line in, in London, traveling up to Canary Wharf for a job. I'd, I love, as a writer, I love pencil and paper. That makes me feel close to the words. And my feelings were just put onto paper. I'm not this guy that knocks out a book straight to laptop. That's just not me. So I would use the Tube journey when other people were reading their newspaper and I felt envious of them um, to write my notes. And then I used my lunch hours to type it up over two years and then got a publishing deal eventually. Again, that's, I could do a whole talk about how difficult that is. And um, I then launched my book, How Have I Cheated Death in 2014, in part to help me because it's a very emotional topic. Understandably, I'd not really spoken about it. One thing that you surprise you, Michael, and listeners, uh, we're not allowed to meet each other people with CF because of the risk of cross infection. So I'm not, it's a very lonely, isolating illness. Wow. So therefore, people have to share via online and Facebook groups. And so I wanted to help others with the illness, but also people having any uh, health or life challenges with all that i had gone through, because um, I don't say or describe myself as being inspirational. If people feel that way, they'll tell me. But I think it's uh, too egotistical to say that I inspire people if they feel that way then great that they do. Um, but the book is very much, um, there's a the wonderful book written in the nineties um, called The Dive in Bell and Butterfly. Have you heard of it? Yeah. Okay. By um, J.P. Bowby, the French editor of Elle, I think it was. Was there a movie
0: made about that?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Amazingly yeah. good movie.
1: Yes, heard. it was a good one. And he had such a severe stroke. He had locked in syndrome. He could only, he wrote his memoir, blinking his left eye, something narrated. Um, And actually why I mentioned it was because I think most people who write would have a template from a book they've read that really inspired them. I thought, gosh, if I wrote a book, it would be something like that as a head start rather than a blank canvas, blank, uh, canvas. So when I read that in the mid 90s, I thought, should I ever write a book about my survival? It will... It will be very simple, short, punchy chapters that are both profound, poignant and funny because that's basically how my life is. I don't, it's not too somber. It's somber when it needs to be, but actually the majority of the time, uh, life is a gift and I have a damn good laugh with it. So that's what the book uh, encompasses.
0: But you've certainly got a very good sense of humor. I remember the first time I taught you. uh, I was struck by your sense of humour, and uh, that's a wonderful gift to have. That, and I think it's a a great aid in our journey uh, when we're suffering. So that's that's super. Uh, Can you? The the name of the book again is is what? How
1: have I cheated death?
0: How have I cheated death? Because
1: that tends to be the question that anyone with a long-term chronic condition will ask themselves when they're approaching a milestone. If death's been, and I've lost, here's the rub, I've lost hundreds more of friends to cystic fibrosis. There was a group of four of us um, who used to go up to appointments together. This is before it was obvious that cross infection wasn't a good thing in the 80s and 90s. And they all died before I was 30 and they were my strong peers. You know, and then there've been loads of died since, including a really dear lady friend, in Bristol, in the UK, who'd left behind a 10-year-old daughter. You know, that's bloody poignant because I've got a similar age son. And the more you push the boundaries, trying to live a more fulfilling and normal, whatever that is, life, then, you know, that if you weren't able to survive, then you'd leave behind a lot. And my friend Helen, you know, that was a deeply sad time for me.
0: So, um, I know that you've had a lot of uh, experiences of uh, crisis or ahas or whatever you want to call them, those times in your life are, that have uh, triggered uh, sort of a quantum leap in understanding yourself or learning or whatever. Um, can you tell me about a time where you experienced a really major failure or crisis? that taught you a very significant lesson about yourself.
1: Okay. Um, when I went to university, Roehampton College, um, near, near Wimbledon, which is where I now live still, uh, bear in mind from what I said earlier, my parents pretty much looked after me and I played all my sport, playing for England. And then I went to age 18, very Callow youth um, and I got so ill in that first term that I have a really deep memory of how sick I felt on a train journey after only about two months of term going to my hospital in Surrey from my campus and how badly I was coughing, I was retching, uh, having to be sick in the toilet and the t- of the train. 'cause of my coughing, I just my lung function got so low. I really was, you know, I probably sounded like a cement mixer, you know, it was really horrendous. And um it was a salient moment because I had to have one of as well as that two hours of medication, when lungs get really poor, we have what we call our MOTs, which is an intravenous line into the arm. And then for at least two weeks, maybe often up to four weeks, we have intravenous treatments. Uh, Syringed or uh, dripped into us for at least three times a day for quite a few hours, and I've had about 100 of these over my life. But this was a really um, harsh one because I got myself so low and ill. And m- what it taught me was that I never wanted to feel that ill again. So I think what had happened was I tried to do my meds, but I also because life is short and and always felt was going to be short. I partied like a demon. And of course, back then it was smoky atmospheres for everything. The worst case scenario, you know, and now we can go to any bar restaurant and there's no smoke around us. You know, back then, everywhere I went to be social was smoke ridden. And, um,
0: it's the last thing you needed, right?
1: Yeah. It paid a heavy price. My hockey dipped. Um, I had to stop playing uh, some of the, the local teams around Wimbledon and just concentrate on playing for my college team. Um, I What it taught me was I needed a different formula to survive yeah, intrinsically but also come up with a, a way to do my meds but also socialise but in a measured way. So um, I wouldn't cut corners on any of my treatments. I asked my good chums that I'd met at uni to help with my physiotherapy because it's more effective when someone does it for you, which amazingly they were happy to do. Um, I think it allowed them to beat me up a bit, so they pleased with that. And That's I had amazing. the only small TV in our halls of residence, so uh, <laughs> they could watch Neighbours and all those rubbish programmes with me. Um, plus I had lots of cake, which was a USP for them. Um, <laughs> So I, I just didn't cut corners with my meds and then allowed myself to then still be sociable, but maybe not as prolific as I'd been in that first term. Now, at the end of each term, I still wasn't in a great way, but I never let myself get so poor as I had done previously.
0: Yeah, Great. And um, you um, talk about um, you know, the things that you do on a regular basis to really help yourself get through what you're going through you use meditation and uh, being in the moment can you elaborate on on that
1: yes um so that's part of that the sort of mental side of my holy trinity something that i've understood and learned about through reading i think a lot of people see that meditation helps others and they wonder, where, how do you begin? Gosh, I haven't got an hour. I don't want to sit there. I think people are still for two minutes, they go do lally with it. Um, so their mind sort of starts taking over. Uh, and so, what I'd say to listeners, if they're in a similar boat and they don't know, they think that they have to be amazing when they start it, most decent habits just need to get going. And then every day, and there may be a gap between, but just start it. If it's a one minute, there's lots of evidence, listeners, that. A one minute breathing from your, um, you know, deep breathing up through your body, up th- through, your, through your nose. One minute of that actually is a good set, is a pause. I talk about the, the, the gas of a car and brake. We're all full on gas trying to go as quickly as possible. But actually we have a brake in that car and meditation is the way to brake, hit the brake, pause. And that just stops us. Um, so it's from the diaphragm through to the brain, and and actually I have only recently read that there's this thing within us that goes from the diaphragm to the brain called the vagus nerve, and actually what you're doing is actually tapping into that vagus nerve through that deep meditation meth- uh, breath. The way that I anchor myself in that meditation is through nature. I go outside, sit um, at this time of year, feel the warmth on my face but also what's around you. It costs nothing to listen to the bumblebees, hear the birdsong, look at the cloud structure, and that actually stops my mind churning about what's happening that day, worries or concerns, but actually just allows me to be in the moment. And here's the rub with something with like my chronic condition. I've suffered in the past, I will suffer in the future, but right there and then, I am not suffering. So if you can find in your day more of those karma more Zen moments, you can actually have more days where you feel that you're on top, not being submission and submissive to the condition
0: that's that's brilliant um, I think uh, if I can express my interpretation of that as well when you are present and not feeling pain it is also because you have decided not you have decided not to dwell in the turmoil of your of your mind which is often focusing on the past and the future and causing additional unnecessary stress because if you're fully in the moment um you don't have the anxiety about what's going to happen you know tonight Or what happened yesterday, and especially in your condition, I would imagine being learning to be really present is very liberating. Would you?
1: Yeah, and I referred to it as the gift. Um, yeah. I did a lot of reading, and I kept seeing the word the gift linked to mindfulness, the yeah. gift of the breath, and I just thought actually the gift is something because I do a lot of public speaking to companies and do a motivational speaking. Again, they tell me I'm motivational. I don't tell them I'm motivational. Well, just, they have to work it out. But, um, you know, I already had a slide called The Gift because I'd say your greatest wealth is your health, you know, and people can lose track of that or or don't. It hasn't happened to them, some form sort of life or health event that's made them realize that crashing down that actually, you know, really is the health is everything. But, but, I was drawn towards that gift and I feel the gift is also the power of the mind and being more present and the way I frame it, it um, helps with life and health challenges and it does for me bring more resilience, calm, so that Zen piece when I'm actually in meditation. But importantly, it's not just dealing with the curveballs when they happen, it's appreciating the nice and the happier moments when they're happening. Hence, the third part is joy. I can elongate my joy through the gift of presence.
0: Um, thank you for explaining that, Tim. I think that uh, you are a testimony to the fact that that someone can, and you've done it. You've made these choices, and you've decided to practice being present to to be disciplined about how you conduct your life. Um, you've taken control of your life in a sense, rather than default to the negative and to the doom and gloom um, and to the inevitable. Um, you're a great example, I think, to people of someone who's really made a decision to take full responsibility for your future. It is very, very moving, to me anyway, to hear your story. Um, and, uh, it's very encouraging too. Um, okay. I, I, um, you know, having been through illness myself, as you know, um, I know what it's like to go through the dark night of the soul <laughs> and also just the practicalities of the physical pain and the, and, uh, all the stuff that goes with it. Um, so sort of wrapping up here, um, based on your journey, what would you say is the most important piece of advice that you'd like to share with the audience?
1: Um, so I'm going to give two, because I'm greedy. I sort of alluded to it earlier, but you are your thoughts, and the most important person you'll ever speak to is yourself. So that, um, in a monologue, try and be more of a coach than a critique. And the second thing is, if you do have health or life problems, um, particularly health ones, when you are going to hospital, um, even going to the chemist, be the nicest version of yourself because people will buy into that and they'll do more for you if you can be as polite and um, upbeat as possible with them. And I think that may be lost on people who understandably feel that they're the victim um, but I've had better results by being as fun and engaged as possible with every healthcare professional I work with.
0: That's great I would suggest that you've actually probably given yourself more life force, more vitality, more energy as a result of choosing to contribute to others, to engage with others, um, to give to others and I think that, that has come back to you in the form of, of the greater vitality that you have and kept you going.
1: Yeah, and a lot of what I'd read, it came intuitive, but it's been backed up by a lot of books I read. If you want to help yourself, help others. A, it's a distraction, but also it, it, it works wonders by the very, dint the fact you're doing something to help others gives you uh, more meaning um, pleasure and joy and as well as my book and my public speaking um, I also released my own podcast called the gift the gift of resilience calm and joy to do that that very thing help um, others by sharing what I've learned along the way because 48 years dealing with chronic conditions there aren't many of me about there and it's too good an opportunity to to share and help others
0: well, thank you, Tim. I, I want to make sure that the audience um, understands where to find you and, and what uh, what to find. Uh, so I'm speaking to Tim Watton, who at 48 years old has survived a lifetime of cystic fibrosis and has uh, come out on top continuously despite incredible challenges. Um, and so you have your book. Um, which is called
1: how have i cheated death
0: yes, yes you can get um, i have my blog
1: uh, the postcards from earth yeah my In
0: your new podcast series new
1: podcast yeah the gift of resilience calm and joy and should anybody want to reach out to one-to-one they can do at my name at tim watton that's cotton with a w is my catchphrase because i was once called Wonton, the chinese dumpling um, and uh, they can contact me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Tim Watton.
0: Fantastic. Well, Tim, thank you very, very much. This has been a tremendous interview. I've enjoyed it. I hope you have. And it's great to hear your, you may not think you're inspirational, but my God, I think you're very inspirational. Oh, thank
1: uh, you. And some, um, that means a lot to me, Michael. It's a pleasure to be on your show.
0: Oh, you're very welcome. And uh, if you'd uh, like to, apparently Facebook doesn't like you using the word share these days. So um, don't share my, uh, this episode with people, but, but share anyway. <laughs> Wherever else, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever. Um, that'll be great. So we get Tim's message out there um, because I think that what he said today is going to benefit a lot of people. And hopefully uh, you out there who've been listening have also found it uh, really helpful in uh, in various ways, probably. So uh, again, Tim, thank you very much. And uh, my pleasure. I wish you all the best of the future, and uh, may you live long and well and happily.
1: I so do I.
0: <laughs> Thanks very much, Michael. Okay, take care. Bye bye.
1: Goodbye, See. everyone.